May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Isaiah 43, chapter 15, 8 through 21. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so they might declare my praise. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. Back in February, prior to general conference, Bishop Grant Aguilla released the scripture and theme for this year's annual conference, which took place a few weeks ago. The scripture was the one that we just heard. The theme was, I see a new church. It felt very appropriate as we knew even then that General Conference 2019 was going to be a watershed gathering. As United Methodists, we are a connectional church, which means that we are dependent upon and beholden to the other churches in our region and denomination. Every year, our region gathers to worship and do the business of the church. Delegates are sent from each congregation based on membership size, the number of pastors, and so on and so forth. We had the honor of having four delegates represent our congregation, and then another two represent our district. Four of those are gathered up here today with Pastor Walt and I to share their experiences. As we gather at the annual conference, we prayerfully listen to the Holy Spirit and discern the work that we are called to accomplish. We spend much time in dialogue, earnestly seeking to hear each other and to understand the variety of perspectives that are gathered. And we do have a variety of opinions, and we often disagree, but we are stronger when we dialogue and work to find common ground. Our delegates will share a little of their experiences and the reflections that they have with you to give you a taste and a feel for annual conference. Before I start, I just have to say, it was such a delight to see your faces as Simone and Ginny brought music to us a few minutes ago. You all just, oh, sparkled. Thank you. It was lovely. So, now to the business. <laughs> Prepare, participating in annual conference is a not so subtle reminder that you and I, we, this congregation, are now and always have been part of a connectional church, that our connection is integral to our identity, to who we are and how we function, and yet our congregation has not historically been particularly mindful of this fact. We have shown up faithfully by supporting the mission and ministry of this local church without, for the most part, being aware of and or intentionally engaging in what is happening beyond the circle in which we function. That is, until now. Now we find ourselves being drawn into the conversation, learning about decisions being made and votes being taken which can and will affect the future of the United Methodist Church 
at every level. Fortunately, our conference leadership carefully and thoughtfully rove this time of uncertainty and questioning into the work of the 2019 annual conference from start to finish, beginning with the pre-conference meetings which took place in smaller groups and concluding in the closing worship service, we were encouraged to listen and learn, to look for and expect glimpses of a brighter future, to see a new thing because of God's leadership and God's work within our conference. The specially organized workshops were designed to draw attention to the matters of the church and to turn the, and in turn the annual conference. The workshop I attended was hosted by the United Methodist Church General Secretary of the Commission on Race and Religion. I hope she doesn't have to say that very often. Her name is Erin Hilliard, and she was brilliant. Hawkins, what did I say? I'm good, all right. Hawkins. Her focus was on the connection between this moment in history in the United Methodist Church and earlier passages of our denomination's unfolding story of the relevance of the United Methodist Church then and now, here and now. Aaron spoke of power, proceeds, and privilege, of the relationship between these three P words and how one inevitably leads to the other. She encouraged us to consider who has the power, who controls the proceeds, the resources, and ultimately what, slay, <clears throat> what sway this has on our decision-making. She spoke of building relationships that could and would develop foundations of trust. We were asked to think about where our focus is. Is it inward or outward? Is it inclusive or exclusive? Would we model unity even in our diversity? And what about the future of the United Methodist Church? Of the three ways we move forward, would we favor to disaffiliate, to dissolve, or to resist and stay? These thought-provoking questions, along with Aaron's informative presentation, were provided to better prepare the delegates to participate in the work of the annual conference. This brings me to the closing worship service, in which a video message created by the youth and young adults was shared. In the video, members of the annual conference shared their visions of a new church and repeated the phrase, I am the stream, referring to the stream of life in Isaiah 43. In this scripture, we find the following message from God to the people of God. Forget the former things. Do not, do not dwell in the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Perhaps the most touching message in the video, video was declared by a group of young children. Children sitting on the stairs, steps of the conference child care center who sang out with great enthusiasm, I am the stream, you are the stream, we are the stream. My, my friends, I hope you will join with the children, youth, young adults, and other members of the annual conference in affirming this good news, that even in times of uncertainty and questioning, 
our God will make a way for us, a stream in the wilderness. And indeed, we, you and I, are that stream. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Annual conference felt right. Considering <clears throat> that I was a first-time lay member, that may seem to be a strange statement. But I've been attending conference off and on since I was six months old and was baptized there by Bishop Baker. That's one of the perks of being a minister is you can have your child baptized at conference. This year we had the opportunity to witness the baptism of the beautiful infant daughter of two Tongan pastors at the end of the retirement ceremony. And we felt a bit of personal connection because we had seen this baby in the commons the day before and had marveled at that, this beautiful child, and it just gave us a connection there. Um, when I was a child, I would also, you know, play on the lawn at the childcare as one of those preacher's kids who was there, just like we saw Mark and Maya playing on the lawn this year. When I was older, I'd hang out with the other teens, like the group that led the worship service that closed our conference on Saturday. Later on I, on, I would return to the memorial chapel for my parents' retirement service and their memorial services, just like we participated in this time. I journeyed to be there for the ordination of clergy that we knew, as a number of us went when Brian Long was ordained. Sometimes when we lived close by in San Bernardino, we would just go over on Sunday morning for the worship service just for the experience of worshiping God and singing the hymns of the church with over 1,300 other people. One of my highlights this year was singing the hymn that we just sang, Hymn of Promise, in that chapel. And yes, this year, annual conference still felt right. Not all the same, but right. People greeted old friends, chatted in line with new acquaintances, like in the line to get our voting devices before our sessions connected with people from churches that you used to attend or where you knew someone, soaked up the love and warmth of the spirit that brought us together. But issues were not ignored. At least four different times with different groups of people, there were opportunities to ask and respond to questions about the current situation in the United Methodist Church. Some delegates came much better informed than others, and that was one of the things that the conference was trying to determine. People in the groups I attended represented a variety of back backgrounds. Ethnic congregations, some of them from more traditional cultures, largely elderly congregations, middle-of-the-road congregations, reconciling congregations, both large churches and small churches. Questions posed by those collecting responses included, do you have a clear understanding of the General Conference and Judicial Council decisions about LGBTQ participation in the church and clergy? Have you discussed this at your church, and what's the pulse of that discussion? What do you need from the conference to facilitate discussion at your church? At another session, we were asked, if our current structure goes away, what would we miss from the United Methodist Church? What would we want to see retained? The range of responses and questions included, we should have resolved to be inclusive years ago. Why are we still talking about this? General Conference made its decision. Have we really practiced our slogan, open hearts, open minds, open doors? 
LGBTQ people are welcome in our churches, just not as our leaders. I'm a woman old enough that I had to leave the Methodist Church in order to be ordained, but now I'm back. How do you reconcile your point of view with scripture? I'm a teen and I'm part of the church now. If things don't become inclusive, my generation won't stay as part of the church. My daughter is lesbian and we just reconnected after 12 years. My child is transgender. My son is gay and the church has already lost him. Native Americans see this as an assimilation issue. They talk about people who take a different path. We need to watch our rhetoric, develop relationships, engage, connect. Obviously, not everyone is on the same page, but despite that, the body came together to conduct business, to worship together, to share in music, communion, retirement, memorial, and ordination services in a respectful, moving, and powerful manner. Conference felt right. We were presented with the idea of STREAM, and what I took from that is that streams are active and alive. They change paths, they join together, they ultimately change the landscape. I was raised in a connectional church that is now trying to figure out what that connection looks like, where our stream is going. We have the opportunity and obligation to help determine the course of that stream. As for me, I see a new church based on the past, living in the present, looking to the future, worshiping God, living as Jesus taught us, and loving our neighbors. It will be different somehow, but I believe we are being asked to include all, to be open to all, to honor the gifts and graces of all. Conference felt right. This is my ninth time to attend annual conference. The best part about it for me was it was the coolest of the nine times I've been there. It was really nice in the 80s, almost making one move to Redlands. Not really, but maybe. Um, I'm going to recount uh, in order, because I'm an accountant, so I've got to go by day by day. I'm not going to give you too much detail, just enough to give you the high, high points. On Thursday, Bishop Hagia preached a sermon about a vision of a new church. He invited every member of the congregation to go back to their local church to craft, discuss, and vision about what a new church would look like and report back to our annual con our, uh, charge conference. So I'm expecting lots of input from y'all and a very crowded uh, charge conference. So be looking that for that in the calendar when we have that November, December, we have our charge conference. Be, be prepared and be ready for that. On Friday, uh, we talked about the budget, which is always a point of contention. There's lots of questions, lots of uh, concerns, lots of questioning line by line of what's in the budget. The budget was presented, Gene will appreciate this, budget was presented, no questions. The bishop called for a vote, it was approved. That's never happened before. Uh, <laughs> The budget was $11.5 million, which is a 4% reduction from what it was in the previous year. The, the bishop has made a point to reduce the budget each year. In 18, 
18, 19, 20 budgets, he's reduced a total of $1.4 million. So that's quite a, a job that the Bishop the Annual Conference is doing to try to get their budget under control. Um, for 2017, uh, the annual conference collected 81% of apportionments from local churches. For 2018, that number was up to 83%. So that's a good improvement. Uh, for 2017, 206 churches gave 100%. For 2018, 213 churches gave 100%. So that's quite a, quite a nice improvement. Our church, uh, for 2017, we only gave 30%. For 2018, we only gave 50% of our apportionments. That's a great improvement from 30% to 50%, but it's a long way from 100%. So we have some work to do to do our part. The general annual conference is doing their part. We need to step up and do our part and make sure we pay 100% of our apportionments. The bishop also introduced a lay member. Uh, he's a member at Hollywood United Methodist Church. Uh, he's participated in the last two Olympics, uh, 18, 16 Summer Olympics, 18 Winter Olympics, in two different sports. And he's going for a third sport in the 2020 Olympics. He'll be the first person ever to qualify for the Olympics in three different sports, uh, which is amazing to me. It was to, uh, 2016 uh, Summer Olympics, Taekwondo, uh, Summer uh, the Winter Olympics of 2018, uh, he was a... 15,000-kilometer cross-country skier. For the 2020 Summer Olympics, he's trying to qualify as a sprint canoeing. I've never watched that sport. I'm going to watch that sport now. So if you, if you come across the name of his, and I'm going to mispronounce his name, but it's Peter Tufanafu. He's, he's Tongan. If you come across him, you see him, support him in the Olympics. If there's anything we can do to help him get there and the opportunity presents itself, do that. That's pretty amazing. The other thing we did on Friday was we elected delegates to uh, jurisdictional uh, conference and, and general conference. We elected three delegates to the general conference, three lay, de lay de delegates, and eight lay delegates to uh, the jurisdictional conference. We also elected four reserve delegates. The clergy also elected three, eight, and four. There was a lot of voting as each person had to get 50% before they could be a delegate. It took several rounds to get there. The lay people who were voting, they had this really neat board. For the first time, we had electronic voting. Somebody talked about the voting machines we had. We never had those before. So here we are, 18, more than 18 years into the 21st century. Finally, the Methodist Church has electronic voting. So it went a lot better, I can tell you. Uh, having participated in doing the paper ballots, it's, it's a lot better doing the electronic voting. We could kind of see, as the vote was going, who the delegates, delegates were and what percentage they were getting. Lay people figured out very quickly, oh, we get to 20 per, we get to 50%, that person's in, so then we can go on. And so we very quickly got the people elected and got done, got finished. The bishop commented that it took the clergy a little bit longer to do that as they uh, were having a hard time understanding the process. And um, that really didn't surprise me that they were struggling with that technology, but it got done and the, the clergy got their three, eight, and four delegates uh, elected. 
On Saturday, uh, we had the pleasure of getting to see the ordination service, which we normally don't get to see because it's usually at, at night, Saturday night, everybody's tired, they go on home, you don't stay for it unless you know somebody who's being ordained. So we got to see it during the day, it was great. And the, the pastor that uh, spoke at the, at the ordination service was uh, Bishop Cynthia Harvey, who is the bishop for the uh, Pennsylvania, uh, Louisiana General Conference. And I'm going to just share a few things that she said in her message. She spoke about learning to act as God acts and create space where distinct skills and roles of various individuals of the body work together to allow the spirit to move. Bishop Harvey invited members of the congregation to look at their hands and consider the countless things those hands have done, the meals, the miles, the hands they have held, the people they have helped. Bishop Harvey also asked the congregation to look again at our hands and consider what they might help them to act like God. She asked the congregation to consider how God wants to act and speak through each one of us. Bishop Harvey affirmed that God is still calling people and that in every area of expertise is sitting in the church pews, our chairs, as the case may be, at a local church. People are just waiting to be asked to participate. Bishop Harvey encouraged the congregation to cultivate in their local churches a passion for lifelong learning vocation, and the ability to listen to God's voice, which says, we are all children of God. Bishop Harvey's comments will come to life for us in, the, in Walt's upcoming summer uh, sermon series, Journey of Discipleship. In Walt's July covenant letter, if you had a chance to read it yet, I realize it's still June, but I, yeah, I got to read it yesterday. So read that letter. He encouraged us to get read a book called Deepening Our Effectiveness. It, that was very, very helpful in us understanding and, and putting into practice what Walt is going to share in his sermon series. Thank you. Good morning. The largest responsibility for lay members and pastors at conference is the legislative, legislative piece, which helps guide the governance of the local California Pacific Conference and the General Conference by voting on resolutions and recommendations. All in all, 10 recommendations for actions were passed, 21 resolutions, and seven recommendations for rules changes. But don't worry. I won't go over each one. I'm here to do the highlights. The decisions that we enact for our local CalPAC conference are pensions, of which there were four recommendations that passed between 97.5 and 100%, salaries for conference staff and clergy, which passed with 98 to 100%, restructuring of churches, and then the less businessy historic designation for the First United Methodist Church of Los Angeles which passed with a whopping 100%. Now the Methodist Church is a church of social justice, a church that encourages our people to do good, to be good, 
and champion a God that wants the best for every single person. And before I talk about the resolutions in response to the General Conference's decision earlier this year, I'd like to bring up three resolutions that showcase the compassion and deep dedication of our conference. We continue to be in solidarity with the Filipino people and join the call for a congressional hearing to ensure that not one tax dollar is being used to commit human rights violations and democratic repression of the Filipino people. We voted to encourage local churches to help bring awareness to their congregations on issues relating to reproductive health care, rights, choice, and justice in cooperation with the conference's Justice and Compassion Essentials Ministries team, the United Methodist Women, the Board of Church and Society, among many others. And lastly, we voted to affirm the worth, dignity, and inherent value and rights of all persons regardless of their nationality or legal status. United Methodist churches throughout the United States are urged to build bridges with the migrants in their local communities, to learn from them, to celebrate their presence, and recognize and appreciation the contributions in all areas of life that migrants bring. We are a loving church. You may remember the traditional plan passed through the General Conference this year. The plan affirms the ban on ordaining LGBTQI clergy and officiating at or hosting same-sex marriage. Now, 60 to 70% of the United States churches didn't affirm this, which I think is an important statistic. And I know this is a touchy subject for some people and shocking that this is still a discussion to others. And with that, I must say that the one thing that stuck with me from conference more than any other in the 30 conferences that I have attended was that a general rule, the first of rules created all the way back in the 1700s by John Wesley, who founded the, United Meth the Methodist Church, concerns doing no harm. This hit me, because we have a church have done harm. We've hurt a great number of incredible people. We've made people feel less than. We have not been champions of all of God's people. And that hurts, because as God's people, we should not be perpetuating trauma, but saving everybody from it, regardless of who they are, with God's love. Three resolutions brought forward regarding the General Conference's decision were passed at 83% and above. They were the call for transparency and faithfulness, where we ask for an independent investigation on concerns of illegal voting and bribery. We ask for public accountability for the complicit and a suspension of the 2019 votes until they can be reevaluated. The second was a disavowal of the traditional plan where our conference asks our leadership to assist and support LBGTQI clergy, candidates, and protect them from charges related to their sexual orientation. And the last was the action of nonconformity with the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. Here, we can affirm our commitment to a fully inclusive, grace-filled, compassionate church that we will not conform to comply or cooperate with any provisions of the traditional plan that discriminate. That no funds or resources of the CalPAC conference shall be expended for background investigations 
or the process of complaints against clergy because of their sexual or gender identity or their ministry with and for our LGBTQI persons of faith. The California Pacific Conference has made a commitment to a brighter future. This is a lot. It's heavy, it's amazing, and it's time. Remember, God created all of us. Let's keep that. Let's remember that in times of turmoil in our hearts. And let's lead with love and compassion. Well, you can see what a talented group of uh, delegates you have representing you at our annual conference. I want to thank you again for uh, the sharing of your time and your words with us. And so uh, perhaps you sense it wasn't a business as usual kind of conference. I mean, to actually be able to pass a budget without four hours of conversation um, is a miracle. It, it really is. The greater miracle, though, perhaps is the fact that we continued in conversation with one another, though uh, some of us had uh, strongly opposing perspectives. The conference does uh, have a strong um, majority point of view on this issue, yet there is a diversity on this particular issue, even within our conference. When we, when we recognize the fact that 70% uh, of the United Methodist congregations in America uh, want to have a large tent denomination where um, differences of opinion on this issue will be embraced and uh, not one progressive or conservative side of the issue would feel expelled from the tent. When we, when we recognize that, we, we see that the United Methodist Church in America is on a little different course than the United Methodist Church internationally. And that has been brewing over uh, decades and has come to the place now where this group of us, we 70 percenters who want to include others with us, willing to have an openness of having others with us or um, do not want to be with those who would exclude others, has come to a reckoning. So you, you heard the um, motions passed by our annual conference that Meredith shared with you and they put us on a course that we have been on as an annual conference for uh, two or three decades of continuing to be inclusive to all who would come forward to us in our churches, in our leadership if they had the gifts and graces uh, to be clergy. Bishop Aguia likes to word this perspective as a global mission, yet a contextual governance, meaning that we would determine how we would order ourselves to do our global ministry 
and we would not have those overseas dictating to us how we would order ourselves. His hope is that perhaps we will find our way to that big tent still. He, though, is um, clearly seeing the difficulty of that, and so helping us as an annual conference to start thinking ahead about what this new church might be that we would be a part of. Unsettling conversation in the least, don't you think? Yet a conversation that um, we're all feeling uh, is past uh, due. So the annual conference will be leading all of the local churches, as trying to encourage the local churches to speak among themselves about what they see in our future. There will be um, gatherings of groups of local churches, those who want to participate, nothing compelling you to be a part of that. But if you wanted to be a part of that, we will be invited to go to listening posts where we would share our feelings about what we see as our future as a denomination um, with our delegates that are going to the general conference and going to the jurisdictional conference so that they're well informed of the, the grassroots perspective in our conference. Rachel and I are thinking that we might like to host one of those to make it easier for you to participate in that. We'll see if we're able to. Um, but one way or another, we will make sure that you are apprised of when these things are happening and uh, should you choose to want to participate in them, uh, you will be encouraged by your clergy uh, to do that. So how do you make a new church? What does it look like? What, what part of what we've been doing do we prize and we don't want to lose? And what part of what we've been doing um, might we cast off so that we might be uh, better equipped uh, in ministry, more effective in ministry to our future? It has become those kind of questions, not just whether we want to have same-sex marriages that are evolving for us now, as a conference. How might this be God's hand pushing us into the 21st century to do better for Jesus and our neighbors? Rachel and I, as your, as your clergy leaders, uh, Boyd, Charles, as uh, our primary lay leaders, the different committee chairs. I know that at Staff Parish under Jim's uh, leadership, we've talked about this. This conversation has been a part of our membership growth committee. Um, how do we move forward in a time of transition? Um, we're all sensitive to the potential turmoil. We're all sensitive to the calling on our hearts to love God and neighbor. And we're sensitive to one another that we might not all be seeing things the same way. As we have come to know you as your clergy leaders over the last two years, we've recognized that some of you have been 
dear friends of one another, though do not vote the same way in elections. Somehow, you've been able to raise your children together in the church, though you do not agree on all social policies. Somehow, you found a way to be good people to one another, though there's differences. Our hope is that we might find a way to hold the center of ourselves as a congregation that loves God and loves neighbor, that we will find a way to celebrate our 50th anniversary and rejoice over the things that we have done in our first 50 years, and that we will do some good, fun planning of what we might do to get ourselves into the next 50. that we would do this as people who have compassion to one another. We would do this as people who make room in their hearts for those who are different than ourselves. That we would welcome everyone to Jesus' table because Jesus welcomes all to his table. It's our intention to lead us forward in ministries that still make a difference in our community, make a difference to us, make a difference to our world over these next months, for us to participate as best we can in discerning God's lead for our future, for us not to lose track of the fact that God has called us, perhaps you and me in particular, to find a way to be part of that stream and get ourselves to our future. Amen.